morning we'll look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This morning we embark on a new series in the book of Acts, which should last roughly a year and a half. <laughs> uh, but it is a fantastic book. Um, and if you like, it's not cheating to read ahead. Uh, so if you would like to read through the book of Acts, I would actually recommend it. Um, I have been greatly challenged already uh, from what I studied for this week, for this message in particular, and even through the book of Acts. Um, so this morning I will be preaching to myself. Uh, if any of you would like to eavesdrop on that, uh, feel free to do so. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. To them He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You will receive from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we embark on this new series, we pray that the Holy Spirit will fall among Your people. That Your Word will come alive. And Father, may it come alive not just because we have a great understanding of it, but because we experience what You want us to experience. Father, we don't want to be just more knowledgeable Christians. We don't want to be just smarter Christians. More theologically astute Christians. Father, we want to be more loving Christians. We want to be more joyful Christians. We want to be more bold in our witness for Jesus Christ. And Father, this will not happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So Father, we ask You to transform our lives. Touch us. Father, may we experience something of what we see in the book of Acts I really do pray that this will be more than history. May this be the history of the early church and a reality in our midst as we see You working mightily. Father, how we long for You to work mightily in our midst. How we long for You to manifest Your power and Your glory in our presence. Father, we beseech You to do this the sake of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. May you be seated. Perhaps you have heard this shorthand version of the Gospel. Someone will be talking about the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And then they might say, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. Have any of you heard that? You need to ask Jesus to come into your life. 
Now, let's think about how that might be received by those who are listening to such a statement. They might be hearing, we have our life and Jesus should come into our life. We have our agenda and Jesus should come alongside our agenda. We have our goals and Jesus should accompany us in our goals. We have our dreams, we have our aspirations, and we want Jesus to come alongside us and to pronounce His benediction over all that we do. That's what they might be hearing. Now, you may find this shocking, but it could be that when someone asks Jesus to come into their life, He may respond, No, thank you. But I would like for you to come into my life. I would like you to come and to be a part of my agenda, my goals, my plans for the world. Let's remember that the call to discipleship is not to have Jesus follow us where we're going, but the call to discipleship is Jesus saying to us, you follow me. And for the very first disciples, that call to follow Jesus meant that they left their jobs behind. They left their families behind, at least for a time. They left their agendas behind. And they literally followed Jesus. They literally walked with Him wherever He went. They did what Jesus told them to do. And they got their marching orders from Jesus. So we need to be very clear about the Gospel and the call to discipleship. Jesus says to us, follow me. Now, one of the things I want to make real clear about the Christian life also is that it's not easy. It's not easy. When Jesus says, follow me, He doesn't say, and by the way, it's going to be like a walk in the park. Never uses that analogy to describe the Christian life. It's a battle. Difficult. Not easy. Not easy. Jesus doesn't promise us if you follow me, you'll be wealthy. If you promise me, you'll be healthy all the time. He doesn't make those promises. But I tell you what He does promise. He does promise if you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, you will find the Christian life absolutely enthralling. You will experience miracles like you've never experienced before. You will experience the surprising leadings of the Holy Spirit. You will find your life transformed like never before. You will experience joy like never before. You will find yourself loving people that you never thought you could love. And along with all that, you will experience hardship, Opposition, persecution, and isolation. All of that together is what we experience and more in the Christian life. And when we look at the book of Acts, we will see that the Christian life is absolutely exciting and enthralling if we follow Christ and are obedient to what He calls us to do. Now, as we open up the book of Acts, we read this brief introduction. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. To them He presented Himself alive after His sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now notice the first thing Dr. Luke says is, in the first book, O Theophilus. Does anybody, ten or under, know what the first book refers to? Thank you, Norbert. Forever young <laughs> Norbert. <laughs> yes, it refers to the Gospel of Luke, which is why we often refer to Luke Acts as Luke hyphen Acts, because they go together. So the first book refers to the Gospel according to Luke. And now Acts, Luke picks up the story and continues on with the history 
of the early church. So in this introduction, we basically have a transition from what we could call volume one and volume two of works collected, or excuse me, of Luke's collected works. Now, let me also point out the title. Um, my Bible says, The Acts of the Apostles. Could also be entitled, The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the first thing we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is poured out, empowers the disciples and the early church to do everything that God is calling him to do. But I think we should also remember that what we're seeing in the last, or excuse me, in the middle portion of this chapter is the ascension, enthronement, and reign of Jesus Christ. So let's not think that he's inactive. He is not. He is ruling and reigning over the nations. So if we wanted to provide a more comprehensive title, we could call this the Acts of the Ascended Reigning Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working through His church. That might give us the big picture. Reigning Jesus Christ, working through the Holy Spirit, working through the church of God. That might provide us with a good summary of what's taking place in the book of Acts. Or if you want a very simple summary of what's taking place in the book of Acts, we have the building of the kingdom. The building of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus talk about with His disciples the 40 days between His resurrection and ascension? What did He talk about? When Jesus got together with His disciples, what did they talk about? Anybody 10 or under want to tell me? And tell you what, I'll give you a hint. The answer is found in verse 3. So if you're wondering what the answer is, you don't have to go like this. You can go like this. Jesus was talking to His disciples about the Kingdom of God. That's what He was talking about. And let me remind you that the Kingdom had come in the form of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, when He cast out a demon, He said, if I cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the Kingdom of God has come among you. So the Kingdom had come. And now He's talking to His disciples about the Kingdom of God and about the building of the kingdom of God. And we continue to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then this is what we read in the very last two verses of the book of Acts. Speaking of Paul, we read, he lived there, talking about Romans, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Jesus talked about the Kingdom of God. And then we see in the book of Acts, the disciples building the Kingdom of God. And then the last thing that we read about in the book of Acts is Paul proclaiming the Kingdom of God. And we are ambassadors of the Kingdom of God. And again, let me remind you, the Kingdom has been established. What happened at the ascension of Jesus Christ? Let me read from Daniel 7, 13 and 14 because I think this is the most descriptive passage that we have describing the ascension of Jesus Christ. Daniel speaking, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Remember, we just read about that. Jesus was lifted up from the presence of His disciples. He was hid by a cloud. And then Daniel basically picks up from here. And there came one like a son of man. And that was Jesus' favorite term to describe Himself, the son of man. There came one like a son of man. And He came to the ancients of days. And who is that? That's God. This is not the second coming. This is the ascension. The son of man comes on the clouds. He comes to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. So the Son is presented to the Father. And to the Son was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus ascends to heaven. He's presented before God. And He's given dominion, glory, power, and a kingdom that all people would serve Him. And then He pours out the Holy Spirit, empowering the apostles, the disciples, and the church to go forth and to build up the kingdom of God. And this is what you and I are called to do. We are called to build the kingdom of God. Now, if we are going to do that, as God calls us to, what do we need? And let me tell you this morning, we need at least three things. Number one, we need power. We need holiness. And we need clarity. We need power for the mission. Because let's be honest, we're weak. We need holiness in the mission. Because again, let's be honest, we're sinful. And we need clarity of the mission because so often we're distracted. And we need to keep our focus clear. So let's look at each one of those. First of all, we need power for the mission to carry out what God has called us to do. Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, He ordered them. That word strikes me. He didn't just suggest. He didn't just tell. He ordered the disciples. Obey me. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Sit right there. You wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? Which He said, you heard from Me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise of the Father is that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Turn back, if you will, to the end of Luke, where we can see this is exactly what happened. Luke is helping us to transition again from the Gospel of Luke to the book of Acts. And this is what we read in Luke 24 beginning at verse 48, Jesus says to His disciples, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's what Luke is referring to. Jesus telling them to stay in the city until they are clothed with power from on high. They need power. They've already been given the Great Commission. But Jesus basically says, fellas, stay right where you are because you're not ready to go forth yet. You need to wait in Jerusalem. Now back up just a little bit, if you will, to Luke 24, beginning at verse 45. Then He, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So Jesus is giving a personal Bible study to the disciple. And He's not just teaching them, but He is enabling them to understand what He is teaching. We're told specifically, He opened their minds. Isn't that a great phrase? He opened their minds. He's explaining things. And He opened their minds so that they could go, Ah! I got it. I see it. I understand it. Because He helped them to understand it. So He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So the disciples have understanding of the Scriptures, but that's not good enough. That's not good enough. They need something else before they're going to fulfill the mission. Turn ahead to John 20. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Spirit. I thought they already had the Holy Spirit. They're Christians, right? You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So they have the Holy Spirit. That's why they have newness of life, but He's breathing on them. Receive the Spirit. So He's giving them another endowment of power of the Spirit. 
And that was before He ascended. But it seems that even that is not enough because they have understanding of the Scripture. They have some of the Holy Spirit, but He's still saying, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, why does He do that? Because they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They need the fullness of power for the mission that He has called them to do. If one thing is clear, they cannot fulfill the mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot fulfill the mission apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me take it a step further. Jesus Himself could not fulfill the mission that the Father had for Him apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that strike you? How old was Jesus when He began His ministry? His public ministry. 30 years old. And why at 30 years old? Why not at 29, 28, 27, working our way back? Why 30? What inaugurated Jesus' ministry? Does anybody know? Anybody want to guess? My wife got it right. <laughs> Not just saying that because she's my wife, you know, but John 1, 20, or excuse me, 32 and 33. John 1, 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. Jesus was born with the Holy Spirit, but here at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, and we're told that it remains on him. Well, how can that be? He already had the Holy Spirit, did He not? But now, He is anointed for ministry. And that is not a stress because we find the same thing in Luke 4, if you'd like to turn to there. In Luke 4.16, we're told that Jesus came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood to read. And He picks up a scroll and He unrolls the scroll. And he intentionally turns to Isaiah 61, 1 and following. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to sex at liberty, those who are pro oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down, and gives the interpretation. 21, and He began to say to them, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit so that He could proclaim the good news of the Gospel and do what God is calling Him to do. You'll recall, Jesus deliberately set aside the use of His deity so that He could live a Spirit-led life. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit to do what God had called Him to do. And here, He is anointed to do what God called Him to do. And this is confirmed in Acts 10.38 where we're told God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with Him. So again and again we read that Jesus had the Spirit, was anointed by the Spirit, was empowered by the Spirit to do what God had called Him to do. Now people say, well, Jesus is in a category all by Himself. Yes, and amen. He is in a category all by Himself. But I ask you, if Jesus needed the anointing 
the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him to do what God wanted him to do. Beloved, what do you and I need? Do, do we need anything less? And it's at this point that I'm concerned about the practical. I'm asking this question of myself as a pastor. What do I need to preach and to minister as God is calling me to do? And I hope you are asking whatever you sense God is calling you to do. What do you need to carry out the calling that God has for your life? And again, you and I need nothing less than the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon us. And when we look at the church in the book of Acts and we see God working mightily, we have to ask, why did God work so mightily? Was it, was it just a once-in-a-lifetime demonstration of God working? Was, was that it? Was Pentecost just something that we read about in the early church, never to be repeated again? And I want to say yes and no. Yes, of course it was unique. But the filling of the Holy Spirit was not unique. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, the Spirit was poured out on all the disciples. And in Acts 2-4, we read, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they go about ministering. And then opposition comes. And then in Acts chapter 4, when opposition comes, we find the early church gathered together for a Wednesday night prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. <laughs> no, I don't know what day of the week it was. I don't know what time it was. But I do know that they were praying. And because of the opposition, they were praying that they would be bold and would not shrink back from what God was calling them to do. And God answered their prayers. And we read in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Isn't that awesome? Shaken. I, I take that literally. Shaken. Like, like an earthquake had taken place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. I said, wait, wait a second. I saw it in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit which empowered them to be bold. And they were. So, so what is this going on in Acts chapter 4? when it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What's happening? Again, God is pouring out His Spirit upon His people. It wasn't just a one-time act. It happened again. And in Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes, and remember, he's writing to believers who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. He writes to believers, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. And notice that he doesn't just assume, I'm glad you're all filled with the Spirit. No, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which clearly implies that some of them may not be filled with the Spirit, but they need to be filled with the Spirit. And even a first year Greek student will tell you that be filled with the Spirit is in the present tense, which means be continually filled with the Spirit. The implication is very clear. Let us not think that because we're Christians or because God came to us mightily on one occasion that we're set for life. We're not set for life. We need God to come upon us again and again. We need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit because, as I told you before in the words of D.L. Moody, we leak. So we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we need. And, and some of you are saying, I, I really do need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going through, through such a difficult time. You might be on the verge of something great. I really mean that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who some of you are familiar with, uh, was a minister in the last century in London. He died in 1981. He was a great Reformed preacher. He was commonly known as the Doctor. The reason why he had that nickname is because he wasn't going into the ministry in his younger years. He actually studied to be a doctor. He received his MD, his MD and he was a doctor for many years. And then he felt called of God to leave behind 
his practice and go into the ministry. And this was a very difficult time for him. He agonized over whether or not this was the right thing to do. And he says it was so difficult, he lost 20 pounds. And he was going through what Puritans sometimes call the dark night of the soul. But then God came upon, came upon him mightily. And he says he was overwhelmed with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And he went into the ministry and he never turned back. And those who had heard him, and D.A. Carson talks about this, J.I. Packer talks about this, and many others who heard him preach say that they had never heard the Word of God come with such divine authority and divine presence. It was as though Martin Lloyd-Jones reached up into heaven and pulled down God Himself so that His presence was among the people. They said it was overwhelming because of the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon Him. It's not just God's Word going forth. It's the Word of God in the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that in some of his epistles. The Word of God came to you not simply with words. Not simply with words. What does that mean? That means something else came alongside the words. And what came alongside the words? The Holy Spirit and power. Which is why Paul would say, I came to you in the demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on man's words, but on the power of God. That's what we need in our lives. God working mightily in us and through us. We cannot do what God is calling us to do apart from Him strengthening us. It's God who does the work. We are the instruments. We are the vehicles. And if we get nothing else out of this message this morning, I hope you get what I'm getting out of this message. We need to call upon God to enable us to do what He is calling us to do. In Luke 11, Jesus talking to disciples about prayer. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask and you receive. Knock and the door will be opened. We need this power from on high if we're going to do what God is calling us to do. We also need something else. We need holiness in the mission. And again, it should be clear because we are sinful. But God uses holy instruments to do His work. Notice what the disciples are called to do. In verse 11, He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is basically the key verse to the book of Acts. We are given the outline of the book of Acts right here. Chapters 1 through 7, we see the gospel going forth to Jerusalem. And chapters 8 through 11, we see the gospel going forth from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria. And then in 12 to the end of the book, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. But notice very carefully that Jesus says, You will be my witnesses. Witnessing is not just something we do. It is also, equally as important, something we are. Turn ahead to Second Timothy, if you will. Second Timothy 2. Paul writing to this young pastor. Second Timothy 2.20 Now in a large house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. This large house is the church. Reminder, there's many vessels, many different kinds of people in the church. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Notice that we need to separate ourselves from that which is dishonorable. We need to turn away from that so that we can be set apart to God, so that we can be holy instruments that are therefore useful to the Master. 
Robert Murray Machine said it this way, in great measure, according to the purity of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents which God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. That's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. A holy minister, a holy Christian is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. And that is a weapon that God can wield to do His work. So, who we are as Christians is just as important as what we do. And why is that? Because the truth of the Gospel is communicated through us. A few weeks back, I wrote a devotional called The Medium is the Message. The Medium is the Message. And you all read it, right? I hope you did. That would encourage me. That's why I wrote it. You would read it. If you didn't read it, you might be wondering, what is that? The medium is the message. That phrase means that the medium, the person through whom the message comes, embodies partly the message. And I use the example of Terry Bradshaw. Perhaps some of you have seen this commercial. He's advertising for some weight loss company. I don't remember what it is. It doesn't matter. But Terry Bradshaw, through this company, lost 32 pounds. And he's saying, if you too will turn to this company, it can do a work for you as well. Now, this is my point. Terry Bradshaw, in that commercial, is not just an objective spokesperson for the company. He's not just outside the company, pointing to the company and saying, you know what, that's really a good company. You should patronize that company. That's not what's taking place. Terry Bradshaw basically is part of the company. And when he says, this company can help you, he's saying, look at me. If you've seen the commercial, you'll know that's kind of funny because he's a character. But he says, look at me. As Christians, we not only say, turn to Jesus Christ because He can change your life. By implication, we're also saying, just look at me. If you turn to Christ, your life will be overflowing with joy. Just look at me. If you turn to Christ, He will fill you with love for people. Just look at me. If you turn to Jesus Christ, He will set you free from sin and addiction. Just look at me. Do you understand that? The medium is the message. Sometimes we refer to this as incarnational communication. We're we're not just giving a message. We embody the message. Which is a terrifying thought, is it not? Because we all know that the message of the Gospel, the message of the Christian life, is way up here. It is so glorious versus this reality in our life that's down here and doesn't quite line up. But nevertheless, God communicates His message through us imperfect vessels. But in great measure to the purity of the vessel, God uses that vessel. It's very important that we walk with God, that we walk in holiness. There's something else I want you to realize. How we walk with God has an impact on the Holy Spirit. Points 1 and 2 are related. The power of the Holy Spirit is related to holiness of life. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 26, we read, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, maybe we should just stop right there for a moment. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger because if you were to do that, it would be like walking to the front door of your house, opening up the front door, leaving it open for Satan himself. Is that not what he's saying here? Give no opportunity to the devil. So we have to remember how we go about our spiritual life has spiritual implications. You see that? It really does matter. 
Our Christian lives are not just static. They're very dynamic, organic. They're, they're up and down. It's not just static, not just level. So when we give in to sin, give opportunity to the devil, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do not let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is Paul saying? If you give in to sin, not only do you open the door to the devil, but you grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. You grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what sin does. It it grieves the Holy Spirit. It saddens the Holy Spirit. It depresses the Holy Spirit. And I think we can feel that in our life sometimes. When we give in to sin, and, and we're like, ah, oh, why did I give in to that? And, and we feel that grief and that remorse. Part of that is the Holy Spirit. Part of that grief is, is the Spirit inside us. Also saying, how could you do that? Notice one other passage. First Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Let me begin at verse 15 to give you a little context. Again, it's another one of these passages where Paul is just giving these, these exhortations to the Christian in rapid-fire succession. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. What's, what's Paul saying? If, if you don't do what God is calling you to do, not only do you grieve the Holy Spirit, but you quench the Holy Spirit. And that gives you a little different picture. Not only is the Spirit sad, but He's quenched. And I, I think the picture here is of a Spirit like the fire. Remember the book of Acts? He comes like tongues of fire resting upon the disciple. And here it says, but when you sin, it's like, like taking a wet blanket and throwing it on the fire of the Holy Spirit so that you quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, you quench His effectiveness and His power at work in your life. That's what sin does. Grieves the Holy Spirit, quenches the Holy Spirit so that He's not flowing within you mightily. Which is a great reminder that we need to walk in holiness. We need to confess our sin. We need to forsake our sin and to pursue righteousness so that we can be instruments that are fit for God's use. And then, thirdly, we also need clarity of the mission because we are so often distracted. It's interesting. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit from on high. You will receive power. And then in verse 6 we read, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. and You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The disciples are distracted. They're still concerned about Israel. This time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, guys, that's not your focus. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to leave Israel. And you're going to go to the ends of the earth. But they were so distracted. And by the way, I have to say that vast portions of evangelicalism need to hear these words of Jesus right here. How many evangelical Christians are all concerned about the nation of Israel? Ooh, it's become a nation once again. I, I wonder if the temple is going to be rebuilt. I wonder if they're going to reinstitute the sacrificial system. I wonder if there's going to be a mass return of Israel 
or excuse me, of Jews to Israel. Ooh, I wonder if this is going to take place. I wonder if this is the time. And we write books and we have ministry all concerned about Israel. What does Jesus say? It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that God has fixed by His own authority concerning the restoration of Israel. Will Israel be restored? Yes, Israel will be restored. But it's none of our business as to when it will be restored. That's the Father's business. He's got that fixed. He's got that all settled. It's not for us to know. So we can try and figure it out till the cows come home, but we are never going to figure it out. We are wasting our time. We are not to be concerned about the restoration of Israel. We're concerned about the world. Taking the Gospel forth to the world. That's to be our concern. But it's not just the disciples who get distracted. We do too. Do we not? God has a message for us and and we're worried about who knows what. We need to keep on track. We need to realize there's certain things that God has in mind that He knows about that we'll never know about, but there's certain things that are very clear and that He's calling us to do. And that's where our focus needs to be. Many years ago, there was, there was a family in our church and young family and the wife got pregnant and they were excited because they were expecting their first child and, and we got excited with them as a church. And then a few months later, we heard that they were not expecting a child. They were expecting two children and their, their joy was doubled and our joy was doubled. But then a couple of months later, she lost both of the babies. And our joy quickly turned to sorrow. And I visited this couple after this happened in their home trying to encourage them. And when I visited them, uh, the husband quoted to me for memory Deuteronomy 29.29. He said, Pastor, this has been a difficult time, but Deuteronomy 29.29 has been an anchor for us. And then he quoted it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the things in His law. And I thought, wow, what a powerful verse. He was saying, we don't know why God allowed this to happen. He said, these are the secret things that belong to God. We will never know why until we get to heaven. But He has revealed His will for us in His Word. And we have to follow what He has called us to do in His law. And I thought, how great. They weren't allowing themselves to get sidetracked. They were going to remain focused on what God had called them to do. And that's what each one of us needs to do, regardless of our calling in life. One time a gentleman came to Howard Hendricks, a professor of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was bemoaning the fact that he is the only Christian in his company. And he said, Prof, you don't understand. It's, it's so difficult in this company because I'm surrounded by non-Christians. You, you should hear the filthy language they use and the jokes they, they tell. It's, it's, and I'm the only Christian. And, and Howard Hendricks said, you're, you're the only Christian? There, there's not even a, another Christian in, in that outfit in which you work? And, and the gentleman said, no, I'm the only Christian. And Howard Hendricks said, wow, that is absolutely amazing. God has entrusted that entire outfit to you. That's His call. To be a witness in that marketplace. That's His calling. We can't get sidetracked. We've got to remain focused on what God is calling us to do. And again, it's so easy to get sidetracked. It can happen with big things. It can happen with, with little things. Martin Luther said on one occasion, the devil will do anything to keep you from praying. Even if it's to get up and close the blind. And that's so true. Just anything that gets us off track. We need to remain on track. We have to keep our focus clear. We have a mission. We are here to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Where we live, wherever we go. That's what we're called to do. And then our passage ends with the ascension of Jesus. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sights. And while they were gazing into heaven, as they went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Talking about his second coming. Now, I don't know for sure, but this is my educated guess using a little sanctified imagination. The disciples are standing there. They're talking to Jesus and we're told that He was lifted up. He goes into a cloud. They're standing there staring into heaven. I think if God had not said, now you two angels go down and you tell them that Jesus is coming back. I think if God hadn't sent the angels, they would have stood there saying staring into heaven for days. Just waiting. (laughs) Because they loved Christ. They wanted Him to return. But the angels come reminding them, you know what? He's gone to heaven. He's going to come back. But in the meantime, you have a mission. Stop staring into heaven. Go back to Jerusalem. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can be empowered to do what God is calling you to do and that is to take the Gospel from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Send angels so that they would get back on track. In other words, get about the business that God has for you. And they should have been excited about the ascension because remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? It's actually good for you that I leave because when I leave, I will send the Comforter and He will be with you. And they were to learn. And the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would guide them into truth, would empower them so that they would be able to do what Jesus had promised and that was to do greater works than even the works that Jesus had done. Which is absolutely astounding. And that's what we'll see throughout the books of the Acts. We'll see these great works taking place because they had the Holy Spirit resting upon them. And we too, we have our marching orders. We have a calling. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, in holiness of life, let us keep on track. Let us move forward with what God has called us to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the lessons of this passage of Scripture. Father, may we apply these lessons to our lives. And Father, I want to ask that You will give us the Holy Spirit, that You will empower us. Father, we are so weak. I can't imagine any Christian saying that he has enough power, enough filling to be as bold as God wants him to be. Father, do not withhold Your Spirit from us. Help us to walk in holiness. Thank You that You forgive us our sins when we get off track. Help us to get back on track. Father, help us to keep the mission before us. Help us to remember that we have a calling in this life. It's about more than living a comfortable life. It's even about more than just living a moral and ethical life. It is about being witnesses of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be faithful, bold, witnesses regardless of where we are stationed or where You will lead us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.